live from the heart of Los Angeles. This is the online edition of the Life Changes Show. Look at the bright lights. Look at the bright With tonight's guest, writer, teacher, and lecturer, Roy Gibbon. Look at the night sky. Look at the night sky. And performance guest, Catherine Thompson. I am Mark Leisure, and now our host, the MC, the master of change, Filippo Voltaggio. I am looking forward to tonight's show, Love as the Source of Healing. This is our episode 768, and it comes at a Perfect time, obviously, because it's because it is, <laughs> as Dorothy Lee Donahue would say, uh, it, it is, it is, and it's here, and so it's meant for us. And so, what does it mean, or how is it, does it serve, or what can we do with it? So, so this moment comes. A lot of you uh, have experienced all kinds of things during during the whole COVID thing. And, and my performance I, I, as a singer aspect of my life shut down in many ways, and especially the live performances, which I am so much about, and live audience and the live experiences. So that shut down. And then uh, I've been away uh, on top of that for another two and a half years for various reasons. And so now all of a sudden, five and a half, almost six years later, uh, I, I threw my hat in the ring and said, I'm ready to perform. I mean, I want to perform again. And as soon as I said that, almost immediately, well, actually, it's the holiday season. So all of a sudden, I'm having all these calls, which is wonderful to perform here and sing there. And, and, and it's exciting. And I wasn't quite prepared for it. And I thought, oh, my voice is not ready for this. And my, I, 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 I'm not ready for that. And I, I, I'm ramping up. And Love is the source of all healing, title of our show, happens to be something that I have thought a lot about because ultimately I'm not prepared maybe vocally or I don't have the, this because it's been a long time so I don't have all the material I need or all the songs I need, yada, yada, yada. However, when I started to get down to the reason I am doing this. I love it. It has been healing to me. And I know that people love what I do and what I bring and the energy that comes through me when I perform. As a matter of fact, interestingly enough, I wasn't expecting to say this, but we're going to be talking about the book, An Offering of Light. It was gifted to me by Catherine Thompson, who is our performance guest. And it was written by her friend and an acquaintance of mine and a friend of Dorothy Lee Donahue's, Roy Gibbon, who is our guest. And when this was gifted, she, Catherine, asked Roy to write uh, something in the begin in the uh, as a dedication, and he wrote, "Dear Filippo, your voice is a vehicle of light. Thank you, Roy Gibbon." That was after he had heard me perform for something. I didn't think I was ready for. So I'm going to get emotional. Well, that's a perfect way to start the show off because the show could have many titles, I think. 
And uh, I think we could, you know, talk about light being a source of healing and art and beauty and new agriculture and so many different topics that this book goes into and the wisdom he's bringing forth, which are all enveloped in the light. So I'm super excited to dive in. And and so true, Mark, the subtitle of the book is Healing with Joy Ray, Natural Agriculture and Art. And we have the co-author, Roy Gibbon, on the show, who is also a teacher, a lecturer, and workshop leader at Shumay America Education Department. Welcome, Roy Gibbon, to the Life Changes Show. Hi, Filippo. How are you? I, I'm, I am well, thank you. And, 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 I, and I am better, and I'm excited because... This, this conversation feels like it's been a, a long time coming. When Catherine introduced us, you asked me, don't I know you? And then the next thing we realized we, we did. And on some level, maybe some of us have known each other for many lifetimes. That's in the book too, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot in that book. <laughs> uh, actually, let's talk about this lifetime for you on your way to an offering of light and all the work that you do, whether it's Shumei or working or, or writing or teaching, uh, you have had many life experiences of those from childhood to now. What do you think are the ones that have shaped you most? Well, okay. I have to keep this brief. So, <laughs> um, well, I, I, I think my mother was very loving when I was young, but as she got older, she got rather abusive and kind of crazy. So I think mm. I got rather damaged uh, in my adolescent and teen years. And surprisingly, I had never read a book of any kind until I was in 12th grade. I finally started reading. So it's kind of odd that I would end up being a bit of a scholar and, and, and writer now because <laughs> I didn't read at all back then. I don't know how that happened. Um, so... I did. A, I felt I needed to do a lot of emotional and psychological healing, and I started doing that in my twenties and started um, exploring spirituality. I had a number of spiritual teachers, read lots of books and things, and I've done a lot. And uh, so I've been accumulating knowledge and wisdom, and hopefully growing. And eventually, I connected with Shumei, which is a a spiritual and cultural organization headquartered in Japan. And uh, ended up working for them, and I ended up in the education department, and I wrote this book with my friend Atsushi. And the book is a, it's an explanation of their teachings, which is based on their founder, Meishu Sama, which is a Japanese man. It, it's actually a title. It means Master of Light. And uh, we needed a book that would explain his teachings in a way that would be more accessible to Westerners, to the Western mind. And uh, eventually we found out even our members were interested in learning more about various things that were not available in our publication. So it, it took on a life of its own, and it took us many years to write. And so the title of the book is An Offering of Light. The subtitle, as you mentioned, is Healing with Jore, Natural Agriculture, and Art. Jore is a form of spiritual healing with light. It's a bit like Reiki, but much more simple than Reiki. It doesn't have a lot of complicated visualizations, and we're not really trying to control the light. Rather, we're wanting to open our hearts and let go and, and allow the energy to move through us. 
So rather than elaborate techniques or manipulations, it's more about uh, the consciousness we bring when, when directing this light for healing, most important of which is to open your heart and focus on love and gratitude. Mm. You could say that love is the most healing power in the universe. And Jore is based on that. Now, actually, we'll go into a little bit of history here. So Mesha Sama, um, back in, this is back in the 19, late 1920s, people said that they started reporting that they were seeing this uh, deity. In China, it's called Kuan Yin. In Japan, it's called Kanon, which is a deity of love and compassion. And they saw this being hovering around him all the time, and he was aware of it. And one day he said this being entered into him and they merged together. And she or he put a, a ball of golden light in his in his gut, in his solar plexus area. And that was the source of Jore, this healing energy. And in a sense, this light is love in action. It It's an energy that's very harmonizing and purifying and healing. Um, and just like... If you feel loved, you have self-love, you feel loved, your body actually responds to that. Your immune system gets stronger, your heartbeat mellows out, uh, you relax, you feel good about yourself, you know, the you start to heal. You may remember some of you, if you were a child and you you fell down, you got hurt, you run inside crying, you're like four years old or five years old, and you run to your mother and she hugs you and you feel loved, and right away you start feeling better. So love whether you feel like it comes from within or from others, it's a healing force. And so this is this energy is based on love. So it's a very harmonizing, nurturing love, nurturing energy. So that's why we say, uh, what was the title of the show? Um, healing with love. I forget the title, but anyway, that's yeah. That's love is the, the source of healing. Of, yeah, that's at the basis of all this. So Jory not only is for emotional and physical healing, it actually, we feel, supports spiritual growth. Now, that depends partly on how open we are to the energy. There's there's a certain responsibility for how we, we connect with the energy. And we feel that as we purify and grow in spirit, our, our jore, the energy we can that can come through us, gets stronger because there's less blockages. We're more in alignment, in harmony with the energy, so it becomes stronger. So we're becoming vehicles of light and vehicles of love through sharing this energy. So we're talking about light and the energy of, of light. And so the absence of light, is that what is known as sickness or illness or, or misfortune? Hmm, that's a good question. Well, on... Emotionally, if we don't feel loved, we can feel very sick. Like we know that infants that, let's say, the mother died at birth and they're put in incubators, if nobody holds them and touches them and loves them, they don't do well. Sometimes they die or they can be very stunted in their physical growth and emotional growth. Uh, children who, who are very neglected by their parents and they really feel their, their parents don't love them or care about them, they don't do well. Children that grow up in orphanages where they're just fed and they're not taken care of, they don't feel that anyone cares about them, they have trouble growing up. So love is not just a luxury, it's it's deeply essential for us as human beings to feel loved. 
it's hard to say what love is, but children know when they feel loved. Animals know when they feel loved. You can't fool them. As mm. we get older, as adults, sometimes we can fool ourselves. The mind is very tricky. So love is very important for psychological and emotional development. On the physical level, um, toxins and malnutrition, and of course injuries, those things can affect us also. So it's not just on that level. There's many, there's many aspects to healing and even growth. It's interesting to me that as I'm reading the book and and I'm enjoying it. I'm I'm using it almost as a meditation a little bit in the morning that I normally don't take time to do, but I am attracted to not only the writings of Meshushama, but your uh, explanations of them. And so thank you, Roy. And I I find it interesting that as I read the chapter on Meshusama's life, he had a very difficult life for someone that was very spiritual and, and, and had the light given to him. One would think he walked on water, so to speak, throughout his life, but not the case, right? So there's yeah, got to be a reason a, for this. Jesus had a tough time too. <laughs> Jesus had a tough time. Yes. <laughs> right, right. So yeah. so what what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question because like people talk about the law of attraction like if you're positive and 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 so on that you should attract positive things to you. But to me that that's when we're trying to think positively and we're trying to be helpful, that's on the conscious level. But what about things that are in our subconscious? Hurt, anger, anxiety, you know, low, poor self-image, resentments, these things can be down there un, unacknowledged. And those things also attract people and things and circumstances that may match them. So our vibration, I think, attracts things that, that work with us, that resonate with us. And then if you believe in past lives, we could have karma from past lives, and that needs to come in, and we need to learn lessons for that and experience it. So we don't know what I don't. Yeah, we don't know what uh, Mesha Sama's past lives may be. If if you believe in past lives, there might be things he needed to experience to even out his karma or lessons he needed. And so basically, the first half of his life, he was sick. He had injuries. He had his first wife died, and his first child died, and his business got destroyed in a in a great fire and earthquake, and he just went on and on. He was being persecuted by the police because the, the government was getting very right-wing and kind of fascist, and you know, it was just, he had a tough time. But after he had some spiritual awakenings, um, those, those things uh, were much, much less. So he just, you know, it, I think, the, what's that saying, uh, Matt? Uh, and uh, I'm not sure what you're... is an opportunity. He saw them differently also. Yes. He was a very cheerful, happy, positive, and giving person his whole life. I think he was already an evolved soul, but I guess he had to go through a lot before he was ready to really go consciously and deliberately get uh, start getting into spirituality and, and practicing various things. And apparently he, he evolved very quickly. So, you know, it's some people start out in a spiritual path very early in life, some later and some very late. And from the perspective of the soul, I don't think it matters so much when you do it. There's a correct timing for everyone. So Mishushama was very giving 
we have a couple of minutes before we go to a break here. What what was um, what was his idea about giving versus receiving? Hmm, that's a good question. Well, he had a a business uh, with art and fashion designs and, and various things, and when he finally uh, started becoming a spiritual teacher and, and dedicating his life to that. He gave the business, it was a successful business, he gave it to his employees. He, he appreciated them and he wanted them to do well and it was time to move on. So he had that very generous quality about him. Uh, did he believe in giving is better than receiving? Oh, I see. <laughs> um, well, to give is to receive in a way. Like if you give something to someone and you're very happy to do it, their their gracious acceptance of it is a form of giving too because it makes you feel better. Mm. And if someone wants to give you something, you don't want to go, oh, no, no, no. I only like to give. I don't want to receive. If you're willing to accept someone's gift with gratitude and mm. no awkward, but you're you're allowing them to do something that opens their heart and makes them feel better. So giving is receiving and receiving is giving sometimes. Wow. I've never thought about it. well maybe I maybe I have but you're bringing it to my consciousness of sometimes the gift is accepting a gift. So we want to give people the opportunity to do things that help them grow and help them open their heart. Wow. And uh you know it's 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 we have to think about it in a larger perspective. What kind of behavior will benefit others? And sometimes mm -hmm. giving them opportunities to be helpful in giving is is really a gift by giving them that opportunity. So that's where we are with Jore. So we don't charge money for Jore. It's 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 a spiritual gift. And we give people the opportunity to share Jore at various events, like we sometimes will have a booth at various expos where we're just giving Jore to everyone for free. And it's really fun. And the longer you're there giving Jore, you get really high from all this energy. And you're giving, but you're actually receiving because the light is moving through you and when I do that, I get kind of giddy and very happy, and I'm just kind of falling in love with everyone who shows up. And you know, <laughs> I I feel it's a it was a gift to have that opportunity to be there, and they're giving me a gift by allowing me to give them jore. They may feel yeah. like they're getting a gift. So you know, it's it's really hard to say we're giving and where we're receiving, uh, where they separate, where they cut off one from the other. Interesting, nice. So the book is called An Offering of Light. Healing with Joy Ray, which we've spoken a little bit about, natural agriculture and art. So when we come back, we're going to talk about what natural agriculture means, because actually this is the first time I'd heard of that, and I like it very much. And then art and why those two are important. And obviously, Meshushama thought enough about those as part of a well-balanced spiritual life that... Uh, he included those in, in, I think, the tenets of, uh, of his work. So we'll find out more from our guest, uh, Roy Gibbon, who uh, is the co-author and who's a teacher and a lecturer and a workshop leader at Shumei America. You can find out more about Shumei at S-H-U-M-E-I, that's Shumei.com. US. When we come back, uh, we'll uh, have our conversation, uh, finish up our conversation with Roy, and then we'll have our Ask Dorothy segment. And a little later on on the show, we will have Catherine Thompson as our performance guest, who will be speaking to us and sharing her music all on the Life Changes Show online edition when we come back right after this. 
Want to connect with amazing people who are committed to making a difference? From the Heart Tribe is a platform, community, and movement with the purpose of bringing like-minded humans together to help animals and the environment in order to gain a stronger connection and understanding of the world around us. They are dedicated to effectuating positive change by empowering individuals to organize meaningful and engaging experiences that build compassion for animals and the natural environment. Their founders' and members' passion is to inspire others to actively get involved in their homes, their communities, and the world to raise awareness about the issues we face and most of all to be part of the solution. Through their efforts, they have also accomplished some amazing and tangible achievements. Their Pickup for Paradise beach cleanups have collected over 50,000 pieces of foreign debris. And also, thanks to animal rescue and recovery volunteers, over 30% of the volunteers have become vegan or reduced their meat intake. Daily habits make a big difference. Please join any of their upcoming events by going to fthtorg and signing up for their newsletter. You can also follow on Instagram and Facebook at From the Heart Tribe. Have you felt inspired to meditate but you just can't? Do you suffer from anxiety but fidget toys just make you more fidgety? Want to replace negative self-talk in your head that keeps bringing you down? Introducing the latest self-help solution, Phi Beads. Transformational beaded jewelry inspired by ancient wisdom, science, math, and psychology. All Phi Beads are designed to incorporate the powerful Fibonacci sequence, nature's mathematical formula that has shaped our existence from the beginning of time. The Fibonacci sequence, also known as the golden mean or the golden ratio, is recognized by our conscious and unconscious mind and resonates as order out of chaos like we see in plants, flowers, seashells, ocean waves, the pyramids, and in our own body. Not only beautiful, they feel good to wear. Phi Beads can help anchor tranquility, positivity, focus, and structure in your life by doing the Phi Meditation. Phi Meditation helps you harness the power of I Am for intention, affirmation, and manifestation. Affirm the life you want. Get your set of Phi Beads at phibeads.com. That's Phi, P-H-I, beads.com. You are listening to a conversation that matters on the Life Changes Show. Broadcasting live from the heart of Los Angeles every Monday night at 7 p.m. Pacific Time. Share the journey with us at lifechangesshow.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Life Changes Show. We are back and we're having a conversation with Roy Gibbon, who's written this beautiful book, An Offering of Light. And and in it, uh, Roy, you talk about, <clears throat> or Mr. Shama, uh, it's a fundamental principle, I think, to work with nature. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the quotes I'm reading from the book, which is, I believe, Mishu Shama's quote, the principle of natural agriculture is an overriding respect and concern for nature. So that's interesting because we want to use nature to give us food or give us trees to build houses or whatever it is. Uh, but this is, we have to have respect. Please tell us more about that. Well, um, healing, I think to be really effective, it needs to be holistic. So that would mean it should encompass our mind and our spirit and our body and our relationships to others, uh, all of that. And mm. Jore, again, the spiritual healing light we were talking about is a very purifying light that tends to detoxify the body and even the mind of negativity or, or uh, emotional issues. Uh, it tends to make you brighter. And, But if a person is 
receiving lots of jore and they're eating a junk food diet, mm. unhealthy lifestyle, then it's toxins in and then toxins out and toxins in and toxins out. They might just be going around in circles, but not really benefiting. So we feel that to really heal and grow, it, it's important that our lifestyle starts to adapt and become more in harmony with the light, more in harmony with love and balance and and something healthy. So in that sense, he was encouraging people to eat, to eat well. And he started noticing even back in the 1940s that pesticides were increasingly being used on crops. And he thought that was not a good thing. So he was one of the pioneers in what you could call organic farming back then. There was also a man in America, uh, his last name was Rodale, and he created the Rodale Institute. And they were also promoting uh, organic farming in this country. And they start, they were collaborating and writing back and forth. Meshama's approach to farming was a little different in, in details. And so he called it natural agriculture. And unlike organic farming, there, we, he didn't use compost to feed the plants or even natural pesticides. It was, uh, for one thing, he felt that all of nature was conscious, intelligent, and sensitive. And so if you sent love and respect to plants and the soil and the, and the world around you, they would thrive. And there was various techniques they would use as well. So the idea was to grow healthy, nutritious food uh, and encourage people to eat that so that they were, rather than taking in toxins or, or eating food that was low in nutrition, they would just eat a very healthy food. Secondly, if you're receiving spiritual light and trying to heal, but you're obsessing with negative thoughts or negative emotions or treating people badly and speaking badly, then you're developing a lot of bad karma or what he would call spiritual clouds. And again, you're spinning around. So the more you would focus on more positive things such as love or gratitude or altruism, along with giving and receiving light, then people tend to grow more and heal more. And including in that, you don't want to, love is not something you can force. When you try to force it, it becomes fake. So, um, you know, the poet Rumi once said, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Because mm. so love is. Yeah, so the more you try to focus on love, it tends to bring up the very things that are interfering with that love. And mm -hmm. rather than run away from that or pretend it's not there, we need to face these things. Um, you want to shine the light into the darkness. And sometimes the very things that we're repressing may actually have some, some benefits in it. It's not, um, it's not so simple. So we need to be humble enough to know that we're not perfect on one level. On the level of spirit, we're perfect. But as as regular human beings, we, you know, we all have room to grow and learn and 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 expand. So uh, if the more we work on ourselves and develop a healthy lifestyle, healthy behavior, healthy diet, then the light can move through us more, more efficiently. And not only do we benefit, but our, our jore becomes stronger too. So having just heard all that, as important as the food aspect and, and nat natural agriculture is, there's a quote, uh, that says, as our eyes pass over the beauties of nature, an inexpressible joy wells up within us. 
it would be no exaggeration to call our ideal of heaven on earth the world of art, for it is the world of truth, virtue, and beauty, and it is in art that beauty finds its true expression. And that's uh, Meshusama. And D.H. Lawrence says, and you wrote in the book, the human soul needs actual beauty more than bread. <laughs> How so? More than bread. Um, there's, it's interesting that Meshusama had a number of values, what he thought was important for one's spirituality that are not always uh, brought up in that context. So he felt that beauty was actually a spiritual quality and that beauty nurtured the soul and, and opened the heart. And like there's there's examples of like, say, they talk about the broken window syndrome, that if you're in a neighborhood and maybe some people are breaking windows or they're putting graffiti on, on walls, they're leaving trash on the ground. If you leave it like that, then more of that happens and more of that happens because mm. the people see it's okay. But what happens is they find that crime rate goes up. Mm. So uh, ugliness and, and chaos like that has a destructive effect on society, whereas beauty and art and order and cleanliness, these things, they, they nurture people. They make people feel happy. People naturally are attracted to beauty, whatever it may be. We have slightly different opinions about or taste in beauty, but overall there's a sense of aesthetics, balance, order, harmony. Those things are intrinsic to human needs. So he felt beauty was important. And even in our natural agriculture farms or gardens, we want it to be beautiful. People plant flowers and they make it decorative. And it's very nice. It, it inspires us. People who are wealthy always want beautiful homes and beautiful gardens. It's it's something, And even if you're poor, you can have a, a vase of flowers in the house or you can have an art print on the wall. It doesn't take money to make things look nice. Mm. So as we're bringing our our conversation here to a close shortly I, we we talked about so many things as mark said it, it, we could have gone in so many directions and you've said that as well the book is chock full of of many things to ponder and and learn from love and oneness what can we learn from that oh well, I, if you don't mind, in, one, in, in one minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think I think Rumi said that love is a bridge that connects you to everything. So love is not just a feeling; it's uh, it's at the core. I think it's a core energy in the universe that is the the that drives evolution and growth conscious in growth physically and in, in biological evolution, but even spiritual or conscious evolution of consciousness. Um, and love, like I said, it's a very healing thing. As you start to feel, the more you feel love, the more you feel connected and one with everything you, you encounter. And so that one was, eventually you feel you merge and you, you merge with everything. So love is more than just a feeling. It's a, it's a spiritual force that moves you towards union with the divine. Mm. I mentioned early on in the show that this is the holiday season, and we're recording this live. And right now, uh, there are a lot of people uh, struggling, 
And one of the things actually that Dorothy has mentioned uh, over and over is to find gratitude. I've heard it in the past couple Ask Dorothy's. Gratitude and healing is something that you talk about as well in the book. So tell us a little bit about that, how we can apply it today. Well, um, I think love and gratitude are two of the things that can open one's heart. So we can't, we can't try to be loving towards others. We can try to be kind to others, and we can focus on feeling compassion for their suffering. But love is more of a feeling of warmth and embracing people, and we can't force that. Again, there's, we, we look for the things within us, like if we're judgmental or critical of someone in our mind, that blocks it. But when we... When you do feel love for others, whether they're conscious of it or not, it still affects them. A loving person naturally attracts people to them. People feel good around loving people. So it's, uh, you know, you can you can focus, try a few times in the day and just to try to focus on the feeling of love. Whereas gratitude, gratitude also opens a heart, but gratitude is something you can actually work on. It takes effort to focus and notice things that we can be grateful for, whether it's just taking a warm shower in the morning or having a nice breakfast, or people are kind to you and you're you're happy about that, or you have a job you enjoy. I mean, there's so many things we take for granted, having a car that runs and is comfortable, so many things we take for granted. So gratitude, you focus on the things that you would normally take for granted and go, oh my God, I'm so lucky I have this and I have that and I have that. And gratitude all by itself can help you grow and evolve as, as a person, all by itself, just that as a one, one simple practice. Um, one of our members gave a testimony about gratitude just the other day about how she was overweight and sad and was doing terrible in school and felt sorry for herself. And she heard a lecture about gratitude and she decided, this is maybe she was 12 years old or something, and she started practicing on that and it completely transformed her. She started getting straight A's, she became popular, she lost even lost weight, it completely transformed her. So that's something you can you can make an effort to practice. It's a conscious and deliberate thing. And gratitude can open the heart so you feel more love. Love helps it. you notice the things that you can be grateful for, and uh, they're great. Well, I know one thing. I'm grateful to you, Roy. I'm glad we are grateful to Catherine to having us connected us again and uh for you uh sharing your thoughts i'm grateful that there's you and people like you out in the world who are bringing the light in the way that each of us are doing in different ways and and uh you're a, a great bringer of light <laughs> i don't know i've never said that so i actually don't know how to say it how do i do <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like you've 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 paid paid back the compliment. Said, oh my your, gosh! Your, your voice is a vehicle for light, and uh, you've paid me a sort of a similar compliment. Oh my I'm, gosh! Yes, I've never had anyone say that about me or to me. So thank you very much. Oh yes, <laughs> well, and there it is. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> what goes around comes around. Huh? <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> it's wonderful. So so good. Actually, uh, I'm going to give the Shume website out again. S H U M E I dot U S. Uh, for anyone that wants to learn more about Shumei, uh, Shumei America, and then uh, Joy Ray. And well, of course, can, by the way, they can get this book on Amazon. And I was about to say, and the book is available where books are sold, like Amazon, An Offering yeah. of Light by Roy uh -huh. Gibbon, uh -huh. G-I-B-B-O-N. And before we go, 
I have the pleasure on be, uh, of being on your uh, newsletter list. Is that just for close and personal friends or is that open to others? Can we put a link to that on our webpage or? Well, I think that may, that may not quite fit in with the, the talk we're giving today. So maybe, maybe we can think about that later. Okay. Well, very good. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be on that list and, <laughs> and uh, in any event, all the best to you. And thank you so much for, for sharing as you have with thank us you, tonight. Thank you, Roy Gibbon. And with that, we have our Ask Dorothy segment. Dear Dorothy, this is Denise in LA and I need some advice. This Christmas season ha is depressing me as I have been unable to afford my basic needs and I won't be able to create a happy Christmas like I have in the past for my young son. Any suggestions you may have to assist me in having a good Christmas in spite of my financial circumstances will be greatly appreciated. Oh, Denise, please know that I have received this question from so many people this year, and my heart goes out to all of you. Your first step could be in researching the top Christmas help websites online and find some monetary assistance with one of the charities suggested, and that will feed you and give you other assistance. And as far as gifting for gifting your son something special, I suggest that you might want to give him the gift of sharing the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer story with him. It has a truly wonderful, life-changing message for all of us. And I am grateful to Roy Gibbon for sharing it with me. And now I'd like to share the story of how the story of Rudolph came to be and trust it will inspire you as much as it inspired me. A man named Bob May, depressed and brokenhearted, stared out his drafty apartment window into the chilling December night. His four-year-old daughter, Barbara, sat on his lap, quietly sobbing. Bob's wife, Evelyn, was dying of cancer. Little Barbara couldn't understand why her mommy could never come home, Barbara looked up into her dad's eyes and asked, why isn't mommy just like everybody else's mommy? Bob's jaw tightened and his eyes welled with tears. Her question brought waves of grief, but also of anger. It had been the story of Bob's life. Life had always had to be different for Bob. Small when he was a kid, Bob was often bullied by other boys. He was too little at the time to compete in sports. He was often called names he'd rather not remember. From childhood, Bob was different and never seemed to fit in. Bob completed college, married his loving wife, and was grateful to get his job as a copywriter at Montgomery Ward during the Great Depression. Then he was blessed with his little girl, but it was all short-lived. Evelyn's bout with cancer stripped them of all of their savings, and now Bob and his daughter were forced to live in a two-room apartment in the Chicago slums. Evelyn died just days before Christmas in 1938. Bob struggled to give hope to his child, for whom he couldn't even afford to buy a Christmas gift. But if he couldn't buy a gift, he was determined to make one, a storybook. Bob had created an animal character in his own mind and told the animal story to little Barbara to give her comfort and hope. Again and again, Bob told the story, embellishing it more with each telling. Who was the character? 
What was this story all about? The story Bob created was his own autobiography in fable form. The character he created was a misfit outcast like he was. The name of the character? A little reindeer named Rudolph with a big shiny nose. Bob finished the book just in time to give it to his little girl on Christmas Day. But the story doesn't end there. The general manager at Montgomery Ward caught wind of the little storybook and offered Bob May a nominal fee to publish the rights to print the book. And Wards went on to print Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and distribute it to children visiting Santa in their stores. By 1946, Wards had printed and distributed more than 6 million copies of Rudolph. That same year, a major publisher wanted to purchase the rights from Wards to print an updated version of the book. In an unprecedented gesture of kindness, the CEO of Wards returned all rights back to Bob May. The book became a bestseller. Many toy and marketing deals followed, and Bob May, now remarried with a growing family, became wealthy from the story he created to comfort his grieving daughter. But the story doesn't end there either. Bob's brother-in-law, Johnny Marks, made a song adaptation to Rudolph. Though the song was turned down by such popular vocalists as Bing Crosby and Dinah Shore, it was recorded by the singing cowboy, Gene Autry. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was released in 1949 and became a phenomenal success, selling more records than any other Christmas song with the exception of White Christmas. The gift of love that Bob May created for his daughter so long ago kept on returning back to bless him again and again, and Bob May learned the lesson, just like his dear friend Rudolph, that being different isn't so bad. In fact, being different can be a blessing. Thank you, Dorothy. And if you have a question for Dorothy, please write her at AskDorothy at LifeChangesShow.com. And we'll be right back with our performance guest, Catherine Thompson, here on the Life Changes Show, li on, uh, online, life, online edition, right after this. <laughs> the Little Dog That Could is the fantastically true story of a man and a little dog that came into his life as his mentor to help him understand the world beyond his human senses and to experience life, love, and healing beyond his human understanding. Best-selling author Filippo Voltaggio, who currently hosts the highly regarded Life Changes show, is an internationally known singer, speaker, and life coach. Filippo offers up his own story, how one little surprise package in fur and four legs transformed his life unexpectedly forever and furthered his path of self-discovery. In The Little Dog That Could, Filippo brings to life the meaning of the adage, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Through the reading of this book, you will experience the journey of real miracles that transcend time, space, and logic while gaining practical tools that will help you navigate your way. The Little Dog That Could is available through Amazon and Barnes & Noble. For more information, visit thelittledogthatcould.com. That's thelittledogthatcould.com. There are self-help seminars costing thousands of dollars guaranteeing miraculous transformations. There are compelling speakers and life-changing weekend experiences where you can walk on fire. 
They all deliver revelations that guarantee you'll come back for the more expensive revelations filled with even greater wonder next month on Fiji. We get addicted to positive, heartfelt, expensive theater. What we really need is a jumpstart, an awakening, someone who can give us a reminder that everything we need lies within. Through inspiration and practical knowledge, Dorothy Donahue helps people get grounded and motivated, inspired and energized. It's not just words and affirmations and the power of intention. It's a mindset brought about by a tangible, transcendental experience, an audiovisual, physical, spiritual experience that helps us realize we transform ourselves. We get tools to become the conscious co-creators of lives of unlimited potential. Find out more. Go to DorothyDonahue.com. You are listening to A Conversation That Matters on The Life Changes Show. Broadcasting live from the heart of Los Angeles every Monday night at 7 p.m. Pacific Time. Share the journey with us at lifechangesshow.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Life Changes Show. We're back and I am excited to introduce our performance guest today, flutist, pianist, and Celtic harpist, and so much more. We'll get into it in just a little bit. Catherine Thompson, welcome, Catherine, to the Life Changes Show. Thank you, Filippo, for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank it's you. It's great to have you here. And you you have, interestingly enough, uh, uh, you're you're such a professional flutist and pianist and Celtic harpist and and people would would have heard you in all kinds of different scenarios television films here and there etc uh, and yet one of the the uh, as important as that is and as exciting one of the things that excited me the most about you is when I started to tune into uh, you your understanding of of art and beauty and music, why it's important and how music and art affect us in a day in and day out basis. Could you please elaborate on that? Well, uh, I, I think it's hard to put in a nutshell, but basically, you know, everything that we take in as far as the vibration or sound, um, it goes into our auditory con uh, cortex in our brain. It affects our whole nervous system. And just think about people are bombarded with so much stimuli. And, and at the same time, they have a choice to um, discern what kind of uh, sounds or artistic uh, stimuli they want to let in. But basically, we're sort of force-fed a lot of sounds uh, from music to you know noise pollution, and the arts um, in general, arts education and appreciating art and beauty, they help uh, heal us from some of the damage of being force-fed a lot of unpleasant sounds, and they reflect the society that we live in. Um, and I think that it's so important to have arts education, and everybody should experience making art or music or writing because it helps purify their spirit. Um, in the book, An Offering of Light, uh, this is discussed in those little brief 13 pages, but I have witnessed in my own life working with different people, whether it was students or people who were um, having emotional problems, how art transformed their lives, whether it was art making or even witnessing art 
listening to music uh, could be life transforming for them. It so, certainly was in my own life. I, I don't know that a lot of people recognize the fact that they they hear music or sounds all the time and whether that's cars or sirens or tv and news going on in the background or actual music or music in stores as you said so uh, it's interesting and the same goes for what we see on television that's art being shown to us whether it's beautiful or not it's there uh, and what we have in our house potentially and what we see driving around etc so all of these audio and, and visual stimuli it's it sounds like we need to have like an anti and antidote to that right yes I think, you know, we're sort of drowning in a sea of vibrations and sound and noise and music, uh, nature, um, all these things help connect us back to ourselves because what happens is people start to become numb or just turning off their ears and then it's hard for them to turn them back on because they're bombarded with so many things and art and music can help reconnect people to themselves. Um, help put them in the moment, help uh, heal old wounds. And you have different artists and musicians uh, that uh, are for entertainment. And then you have some other people who are working where that helps throw people back to themselves because uh, that's basically related to beauty, which is also discussed in the book and offering of light, how beauty is a healing principle and we can't really live without it. If we don't have beauty in our lives or an appreciation for it, we basically help create more psychopaths. It so, helps make people feel compassion. They learn compassion through the arts. And and this is a one of the main principles of of Shumei, which is also mentioned in the book. And and you go on to say, uh, and maybe I haven't gotten to that part yet, but uh, arts are not just activities, and art can be medicine, right? Absolutely. Art can be medicine. I mean, even if we go back to the ancient Greeks, they used uh, art and music as medicine. Well, let's have a little bit of, of your medicine. Actually, this, this first piece that we're going to play is In the Light of Gratitude. And we talked a little bit about that with Roy. In the Light of Gratitude. Now, this is uh, an improvised piece, right? Tell us about it. Yeah, it, it's a live improvisation uh, for ritual music for an offering. And so I call it In the Light of Gratitude. And it was created for Shumei America. And it was a live improvisation that they recorded. On the piano, right? Yeah. yeah. So here is uh, Catherine Thompson and her improvisation In the Light of Gratitude, pre-recorded on the Life Changes Show online edition.
Thank you, Catherine. Catherine Thompson, improvisation at the piano. Actually, we have a beautiful video of that piece in the light of gratitude by Catherine Thompson on the webpage for Catherine at lifechangesshow.com. She did a beautiful uh, soundtrack to pictures and made a video. So uh, there on that page, you'll also find many links, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, etc., for Catherine to learn more about her and hear her music, et cetera, et cetera. Catherine, what does, what does somebody do with music? I know that was created for a moment, but that moment can live on. Is this for meditation? Is it for, what would you describe this kind of music uh, for us to use it? How would we use it? Well, it's ambient music. So it could be used for meditation or relaxation, could be used for ceremony. I, I like doing ceremonial music because um, I it kind of, I have to be in the moment and I don't know what I'm gonna play and I just have to trust whatever sounds come through, sort of like a medium. That's interesting coming from you because I know you're very highly trained as a classical musician in all these instruments and you've used it classically throughout but uh you you have had various experiences in your life as i'm getting to know you and your story and and music has come to play mean different things play different things uh and so you have you went through a, a healing with music and about music and for and so you use that now you use it for yourself but because you did you are able to help people with the music you create in a different way than where where you thought you were headed with this right that's true that's very true and i enjoy helping other aspiring musicians get in touch with their their sort of muse musical muse uh, no matter what kind of music it is when I'm teaching them, uh, I have to get them to sort of trust themselves because there's so much self-judgment that happens when we're getting trained um, in music. You know, the way people get instructed to play an instrument or sing. Um, and at the same time, we kind of have to learn to undo it as we get older to find our own voice. And especially when we're, trained to read music um, and we're playing somebody else's music that's a whole nother art and it's a very valuable art but sometimes a lot of musicians including myself we get frustrated because we feel something in ourselves that wants to come out but mm. we don't know how to do it so it, it's a lot of trial and error where some other people it comes out very easily for them like a jazz musician or something like that but for me it was uh, meditative music ambient music i I play something every day. I have hundreds of recordings. I just uh, sadly never uploaded them. I have a um, feeling like we're going to get to hear those and yeah. do, do share with us and and we could share uh, more of your music. And as uh, I'm sure you're all gathering, so Catherine Thompson is is not only a musician, she's an educator and an expressive arts therapist. So you not only help aspiring musicians, you uh, you also help people who don't aspire to be musicians or potentially can't be, but mm -hmm. in a sense, they are. And and what is that about? Well, uh, 
With expressive arts, I am an intermodal expressive arts therapist where I work with poetry, um, art therapy, psychodrama, music. I don't do much movement uh, therapy, um, but uh, I like to kind of mix the modalities and help people find something that is easy for them to start moving their creative energy. And the whole point is everybody can be creative to some degree, to some capacity. And I've seen I've seen people who have many, many limitations and how the art transforms their lives, the art making or, you know, play therapy, experimenting with making sounds, everything from people with Down syndrome to even people in the last days of their life in a hospice where I would mm. make music with them. Wow. It's just amazing how the arts can help people be in the moment. And that's something that I enjoy doing by using music and art to help people be in the moment, even in the art appreciation or music appreciation classes, you see the students sort of wake up and they'll write letters later on after the end of the class, like how the class changed their life because it helped open them up to experiencing beauty or something in themselves. And it's the same with veterans or people that I've worked with in uh, mental hospitals, I've watched them transform through wow. the arts. And that's why I say arts can be medicine. It's not just entertainment. You know, some people think of making music or artists as self-indulgent or it's a luxury, but really everybody craves to be creative whether we experience it through another artist or musician that's entertaining us or we experience it on our own. And I believe that many artists and musicians have a responsibility. What are they putting out to society? You know, this is the other thing. We can pollute people's spirits or we can help lift people's spirits with the practice of art making or music making. And I, I think that's one of the things that um, is brought about in the book that Roy wrote uh, to get people to think other artists, they, the condition of their soul comes into play. You have artists uh, who are tormented, who are just compulsively creating, and that's a good thing because they got to do something with all that energy. And then you have other people where there's a very easy flow and other people where they transform their pain to something beautiful, like a mm. Van Gogh. So there's so much that art can do for society and for individuals. And I've seen so many transformations with people who are really suffering just through the use of even a couple of minutes of music changes their whole body chemistry. You know, we, your brain makes hormones and chemicals that are released by the sounds that you hear. So certain music creates inflammation and epinephrine in the body. And then certain music releases dopamine and serotonin and endorphins that help reduce inflammation. In a matter of two minutes, you can change your your whole feeling. If you're having a bad day, just change the music. I mean, music is the master art. Mm. And that brings us full circle to the beginning of our conversation, the role and importance of beauty and art. Uh, thank you for that. There's so much that we could talk about, and we're going to let more of your music do the talking we're going to end the show with mystical anniversary what is this piece and how was it created well it was created for um an uh, anniversary uh and it was a, a live recording 
at a at a ritual at the offering at the anniversary at Shumay America. Okay. And so, um, Was this also improvis improvised? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, that's why you hear all the the sound effects. I, it's not a master recording or anything. It's a live recording that was made in the moment right and it's got the feeling of the moment and and the energy of the the space and and what was happening and the spirit of the moment right and the people right. within it yeah right and when i do these uh, recordings live at these events and other places um the point is to help uh, clear the room bring in energy get people in the moment um play something they've never heard before. I don't want to play music. So it, I don't want it to be a recital moment. It's not about me. It's about all of us in the moment. And that one time that we're never going to be again. Wow. Nice. Well, here it is. This is the improvised piece, Mystical Anniversary. Catherine Thomas at, the, at Thompson at the piano at uh, Shumay... America in Pasadena, right? Yes. Okay. And here, pre-recorded on the Life Changes show. Thank you. 
Catherine Thompson. Wow, Catherine, thank you so much. Actually, this is the first time all day I've stopped. And I just stopped and listened. Thank you so much. I needed that. Thank you. And so if you're needing what Catherine is putting out through her form of light and beauty and art, Catherine Thompson, go to lifechangesshow.com and look up Catherine Thompson. We have so many links for her, that beautiful video in the light of gratitude, peace, and I trust more to come. Catherine, what a pleasure. Thank you, Filippo. Thank you so much. It's our pleasure. I, I have to give a shout out to Chris Murphy, who introduced us. And I, and I know that I knew Roy Gibbon before, and then Dorothy introduced me to him after again, and then Catherine Yoon. I love this, this circle, this circle, the circle of light. Let's keep it going. Let's let it grow brighter. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and that, with that being said, with a big thank you to Catherine Thompson and a big thank you to Roy Gibbon, that is our show. On behalf of our executive producer, Dorothy Lee Donahue, and our executive producer and co-host, Mark Lejour, I am your host, Filippo Voltaggio, reminding you that as your life changes, I was going to say as your light changes, but that would be appropriate too, but as your life changes, as ours surely did tonight, we're here for you. Ciao, everyone. You have been listening to The Life Changes Show on the BBS Radio Network. Listen live every Monday night at 7 p.m. Pacific Time and visit us online at lifechangesnetwork.com, on Facebook at The Life Changes Show, and on Twitter at Life Changes Show. Join us again next week as we consciously explore and embrace the only constant, Life Changes. The Life Changes Network is an entertainment network. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and participants and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Life Changes.